What a wonderful change when Jesus comes back. Amen. What a great line. What a great line and a great truth. Kind of leads us right into where we're heading today. If you take your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter this morning. 1 Peter, we'll continue in our, our series here, encouraging promises in a discouraging world. But, but today is really part two of a message that I just simply called the called to holiness. Called the holiness. And you know, that's our greatest calling in life. It is a call to holiness. I got a lot of callings. You got a lot of callings in life. And if you're a parent, you're called, if you're a dad in here, you're called to be a father. If you're a mother in here, you're called to be a mother. If you're a husband or a wife, you're called to be a husband or a wife. We're called to be sons and daughters. We're called to be in our professions. We're called to, to various professions, whether it's whether it's nursing or mechanics or whatever area that God has called you to, you're, you're called to that. But can I tell you, I got extra, an extra calling or two. I'm called to be a preacher. I'm called to be a preacher of the gospel and a pastor of Victory Way Baptist Church. But above and beyond every single calling that you and I have in our lives, the highest calling that we have is to be holy. It's to be holy. Because when Jesus passes by, there's going to be a change in our life. Listen to me before we even get started. If you made some profession of faith at some point in your life, there's never been a change in your life, you need to check up on what you're relying on to get you to heaven. I'm not saying you'll be perfect. None of us are. Amen. But I am saying you'll be changed. There ought to be something different about you than there was beforehand. Peter here, as we've covered for the past several weeks, has been talking about the wonderful truths of salvation and, 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 be, and how God saved us and God the Father had a part and God the Son had a part God the God the Holy Spirit had a part. And he gave us the wonderful truths, how we're kept and we're secure by the, by the grace of God, how he keeps us saved. And, and he, he went through all these wonderful trials. Even in trials, we understand that there's coming a day where we'll get to, to the end of our faith and we won't need the faith anymore because by sight we're going to see the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and physically we won't need well all we'll need is that all we'll have forever is that charity or that love and and we, it's something that that salvation is so wonderful that even the Old Testament prophets didn't fully understand it, even though they wrote about it and the angels desire to look into it and and it was because of that last week we he we got into what he called us to be because of the great grace of salvation because of how good God has been to us he's got an expectation for us that are saved He's got an expectation and a calling in our life, and that is a call to holiness. You know, you, you say that word holiness, and in most Christians today, they kind of cringe. They get a little nervous. I mean, we like to talk about being saved. Amen. I do like to talk about that, don't you? We don't like to talk about holiness a whole lot. We like to talk about heaven, but not holiness a whole lot. About hell, but not holiness. About happiness, about even being helpful, but not holiness. Last week we talked about that dog who gets sidetracked with every scent as he was supposed to be tracking a bear and he forgot his ultimate calling was to be a bear dog. Most of us are like Christians just like that. We forgot our most holy calling, the call to be holy. Today as we continue in this series, I want you to understand our highest calling. I know this isn't popular. I know this isn't even preached very much anymore. And, 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 but today, with God's help, I want to show you what holiness really involves. How, what is holy living? 
What does it involve? Because it'll be a little different than probably what you're thinking already in your mind. And most importantly, why should we be holy? And he gives us the answer here in our text. If you'd stand, we'll read just three verses again tonight, this morning, and see where God leads us. The Bible says this, again, verse 13. It's where we were last week, but it goes together. Because of those truths of salvation, he gets to verse 13, he says, Wherefore? Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Father, would you just for the next few moments, Lord, arrest our attention, divert our attention from the cares of this world and onto the ultimate calling you've given each of us as Christians. Help us understand what, what holiness is. Help us understand what those former lusts that we need to do away with are that we lived in in our ignorance and help us understand our ultimate calling to be holy as you are holy. Father, bless now the teaching and preaching of your word. May we leave this place again changed, challenged as a result of being under the teaching and preaching of the word of God. And Lord, may we realize our ultimate calling today. Called to holiness. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. Last week as we went through verse 13, we learned several truths. We learned, first of all, that holiness involves controlling your thinking. And, and he says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. And, and the Bible tells us, for as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And he says, to keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it come the issues of life. And, and we know this principle because I preach it all the time. But every sin has its origin in our heart. Before we ever done it, we what? Thunk it. So holy living starts with holy thinking. And we talked about that last week, how we got to capture our thoughts and gird them up. That means to fasten, to take control of, to secure it, because the battle is in our mind. And we learned the truth that wrong thinking leads to wrong believing and leads to wrong doing. And it always starts there in our mind. And then we learned we had to cast down some thoughts too. And the Bible told us to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of Christ and, and bring every thought into captivity. And that's, that's what he tells us to do in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5. And then we, we need to take one more step then. He says this, and, and to be sober. It means to, to, to remain in control of our thoughts. Not just capture them in the first place. Not just control them in the first place, but continue to keep control. And this is where most Christians, uh, if they get those first couple steps of victory, start to fail. We don't stay in control because the very thing that happens is, is, is we, the thing that got us there, which, was, which was, was obeying the Word of God, was meditating on the Word of God, reading the Word of God, praying and communing with God, and learning to yield to the Spirit instead of the, to the flesh. The thing that got us to the victory source in the first place that helped us fix our stinking thinking to start with is the very thing we quit doing as soon as we get a little victory. And we usually fall harder many times about twice as hard as we were in the first place 
So be, be, be mindful of that this morning. We need to control our thinking. That means capturing our thoughts. That means casting down those bad thoughts. And that means controlling our thoughts. And we, we need to quit putting the, the dog in the pen in the illustration last week and leaving the gate open because that's what we always do. But then he goes on a little further after we got past the thoughts. That we, we, were, we were told this last week. We need to consider his, his coming. In verse 13, again, he tells us that not only we need to gird up our, our, the loins of our mind to be sober, but we're to hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he reminds us simply this, Jesus is coming again. How many of you are thankful for that? Amen. He is coming again. Hey, but but listen to me. When he's reminding of that, let me, let me just give you a couple warnings here before we go on. He's not telling us to look into the newspaper for his coming. Amen. <laughs> We're supposed to look in the cloud. See, today we get caught up in all these signs, and, and the truth is, if you base your view of the incoming based on current events in the newspaper, then you're going to have to change your view of the incoming every time the newspaper changes. But if you base it on the ever cha never changing word of the living God, you'll never have to change it. Listen, I'm telling you, we got, we got an epidemic of stuff going on right now in this world. And I got, I've seen an epidemic of preachers, and I've seen an epidemic of Christians quoting all kinds of verses, things like this. I mean, every time there's a wildfire, and we got wildfires everywhere, they go to Acts 2, and they said, I will show wonders in heaven and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. See, Jesus is coming again because there's wildfires. That's what they say. All right? Can I remind you, there's always been fires on earth. Amen? In addition to every time there's some, 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 i got to watch my words. Some idiot like this guy in North Korea, amen, uh, that, that is throwing missiles or threatening to launch missiles. They go to Matthew 24, 6, and there should be wars and rumors of wars. See, 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 the, Jesus is coming again because there, here we go. There's North Korea doing their crazy stuff. Can I remind you there's always been wars and rumors of wars. There's never been a time of peace here in this country, and there won't be until Jesus comes and rules with a rod of iron, amen. And then we have natural disasters, and pray for those in the path of not only Harvey that already hit, but Irma and Jose and whatever one's coming after that. And they go to Luke 21, they says, there'll be signs in the sun and in the moon and the stars and upon the earth, the stress of nations uh, with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. See, it's a hurricane, that means Jesus is coming. Can I remind you, there's been storms 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year somewhere on this earth since we've been here. Amen. <laughs> See, we Americanize everything. God's a God of this universe and the God of this whole world. Quit basing the fact that he's coming and looking for signs on, on the newspaper and just get to the word of God. And yes, he's coming back. But listen, me as Christians aren't supposed to be looking for signs. We aren't supposed to be looking to the, the newspapers. Us as a church supposed to be looking to the clouds at, at his return. Listen, every one of those events we just talked about, whether those signs that they were for the Jews and they were for the second physical coming to earth of Jesus Christ after the tribulation. We're looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. Can I tell you what? That is a signless event. And that could happen before I get done preaching. And that could happen any time. There's no sign needed. Everything that's got to happen has already happened. That's what we're looking for. Quit looking at circumstances and start looking for Christ. And he's coming in the clouds. And he's coming for his church. And it's a signless event. And, and I'm thankful for the fact that uh, that, that he is coming again. Now, when we get that perspective right, then we will start to live right. 
That's what, that's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, we need to sit at his tongue. And as we closed last week, here was the challenge was simply this, was this, we don't know when he's coming. We, he can return any moment. And be, but because of the fact that he's coming, not because of the signs, but because of the Savior that we're looking for, that's what I'm looking for, not signs. Because of the fact he's coming, I should live holy right. And if he was coming in 15 minutes and somehow you and I knew it, how would you live different? How would you think different? That's the way we should live our lives. That's what Peter's saying. And then this, guess what? If he doesn't come in that 15 minutes, we should live the next 15 minutes the same way. Consider, consider his coming. So listen, live in holiness. Our call starts with controlling our thinking and considering uh, his coming. But, but now we're going to go on a little further. Now we're going to get to where we live. Now we're going to get the very, very unpopular part of this. Uh, I'm still in the Bible. Everybody with me? You, when, you're, when you're a preacher and you preach verse by verse through the book, I don't get to skip the tough parts. Amen? By the way, you don't want me to skip the tough parts. Because it's all written for our nurture and admonition. And it's all profitable. Amen? And so let's go on and see what he says in verse 14. As obedient children... Now that we got our thinking right, now that we're living every moment in the, in the light of Jesus could return and declare any moment for us and we're living a life that would be pleasing the second he lives, now that we got our thinking right, now we're going to start getting our doing right. And so we're not even considering it's coming, but we're now to consecrate our living. And that starts with right thinking. Because remember, wrong thinking leads to wrong believing, leads to wrong doing. But right thinking leads to right believing, leads to right doing. We're at the doing phase now. Everybody with me? See, we're to consecrate our life. You know what that means? To set apart. Now we're to live right. He's not talking about holy rolling. He's talking about holy living. Look, he's going to tell us how to do it. So we read verse 14. He says, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. It's obedient. So he starts with simply this. Here's what we got to do. Number one, we need to reject the lustful lifestyle of our past. He says, as obedient children, don't fashion, don't, don't conform is kind of the idea of that word. and it's a, it's a long old word, but it has the idea of yourselves to the former lust. And So before we even get to expand and all that, let me just remind you who he's talking to right off the bat. He's talking to Christians. He said, as obedient, what? What's that next word? Children. He's talking to Christians here. Listen, don't go out and expect the lost world to live like Christians. Amen. They're lost. And they have no calling to do that. But you and I have been saved by the grace of God. That's who he's talking to. Those that are born again, those that have repented and believed the gospel, those that have confessed with their mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believed in their heart that God's raised him from the dead, those that have trusted in him. Listen, he's talking to you. He says, listen, you are a child of God now being obedient. Because we got a choice. We can be a disobedient one or an obedient one. Now listen, if you've never trusted Jesus, tune me out right now. I'm not talking to you right this second. I'm talking to Christians. Christians this morning. You were created by God, but you're not his son. But you can be. Listen to John 1.12. But as many as received him, to him he gave power to become the sons of God, even them that believe on his name. See, once you become a child of God, listen to Galatians 3.26. For you are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And once you've been born again, the expectation you will live holy. 
And we do this by being obedient children. By obeying the Lord, obeying the word of the living God. And how do we do it? Verse 14, by not fasting ourselves according to the former lust. Now let's look at what that means a little bit there in your Bible. When it says not fasting yourselves according to the, here's what it means. It means not to conform yourself. It means not to, to, not to, not to mold yourself in someone else's pattern, not to be guided by. Can I just tell you this? There's one thing and one thing alone and one person alone that we're to be conformed to in this world, and it ain't the church, and it ain't, it ain't the world. It is Jesus Christ. We're to be conformed into the image of Christ, and the Bible makes that abundantly clear. Listen, there's some things he tells us not to be conformed with, and here's one of them in our text, but here's another one. Y'all maybe know Romans 12 too. We know that verse pretty good, right? And be not conformed to this what? World. So what are we not to be conformed to? We're not to be conformed to this world, he tells us. That means that we're not to be fashioned to or conformed to this world's philosophies, to the, their opinions, their impulses, their greeds, their sinful lifestyles. In fact, James put it this way. He said, the adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. God, listen, you've been saved out of this world, and because you've been saved out of this world, listen, quit living like the world. That's what he's saying. Don't be conformed to it. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Can I tell you, we are positionally brand new creature in Christ, and something as big as God moves in, there ought to be a change. Again, I'm not talking about sinless living or perfection. I'm talking about a change. We ought to be different. And Jesus said this way, Matthew 7, 16, you shall know them by their what? You'll know them by their fruit. That's how we know the real Christians, amen? We should no longer be fashioned, conformed by this world. Now let me interject a little bit here. Because we've got two extremes. Two extremes going on in the world today. Two extremes, well, forget the world. Two extremes going on in the church house today. And both are wrong. And I'm not saying we're perfect. <laughs> Don't get that wrong. Listen, we're anything but. In fact, I'm like the, I'm like the drunken sailor sometimes. I'm over here, then over here, then over here. I'm trying to stay in the middle of the road. Y'all understand what I'm saying? But sometimes I'm here, sometimes I'm here. And boy, I'm trying to get down that middle and stay balanced. But, you know, you always got to be corrected. You ever drive a car that you just do this with and never move the steering wheel? Don't happen that way. See, in life, you're always making little corrections. But there's two extremes uh, when it comes to this idea of being not conformed to the world. The biggest problem today in the modern church is instead of being light and salt of the world, it's conformed to, it's done the very thing the Bible told us not to. It's conformed to the world. I'm telling you, some of them you can't tell if you're in a dance club, a bar, or a church. Don't get quiet on me. Some of you have been in some of them. I mean, come as you are, leave as you were, you know, rock it out for Jesus. Hey, don't ever preach on sin. Tell everybody how great they are. Let them leave feeling good. You'll build a crowd. Everybody will be wonderful. That's one extreme. Then there's another extreme. This one we got to be careful of. This is one our conservative fundamental churches often fall into. In an effort to combat the extremism on that side, they, 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 they come up with lists and rules that everybody's got to follow. Like, yeah, listen, I mean, I, I've been in places. They got rules on dresses. 
I mean, ladies, if you're, you're more than two fingers down, you're wrong. Amen. I mean, you're, you got to be that. Your dress got to be down to your ankles. Rules on music. If it has a foot, uh, it has a beat, and your toe taps, and we can't have that music. Uh, yeah, yeah, we got we got rules like rules on what you can and can't do, where you can and can't go, and yeah, yeah, don't, don't, no member should go to the movie house. And yeah, I mean, we got all, all this, stuff. and and I understand what they're trying to do. It's an overreaction to the to the way the modern church has gone. But listen to me, that is just as wrong because no longer you're being conformed to Christ. Now you're being conformed to the church. Can I tell you, our conformity shouldn't be the world, and it shouldn't be a, some man-made list in the church. It should be Christ, and Christ alone. we got to get back to that. Well, that's definitely, I would assume, better than some of the worldly stuff. Can I tell you, anytime we conform and push conformity based on some type of outward pressure instead of an inward transformation, it leads to a problem. I've used this illustration before, but let me give it to you in a really quick fashion today. Ice trays. Here's a problem with conformity. Ice trays. How many of you? How many of you remember them? I know of you, but you, you pour water in it, right? You remember that? You young people, that you didn't always push a button that came out. Amen. Just hang with me. Ask your grandparents. They'll, they'll explain this to you. You'd fill that thing up with water, right? And then you'd take that ice tray and try not to spill it. And you'd get it in the freezer. And you leave it in there. And something interesting happens to the water that was in those little little trays after you leave it in the freezer for a while. What's that? What happens? Y'all tell me. It freezes. And what does it do? It goes from ice to, I said that backwards, from water to, and what shape does it even become? Squares or round, what kind of, what kind of trays? It conforms to whatever, the, whatever it's in, right? But here's the fundamental problem. That's what, that's what many of our conservative fundamental churches do. Here, here's my rules. You've got to do this and this and this. We've conformed them, and you've got these nice little packages and all that. Here's the problem with conformity to anything other than Christ, though, is when you take that ice tray out, as I used to do, and I'd put it in my glass, and I forgot to put the doggone thing back in the freezer, which would ultimately get me a whooping. Amen. And, and I'd forget to put it back in there and to sit on the counter long enough. Guess what happened to that ice? It became what? It went right back to what it used to be. Because there was no fundamental change. It was just conforming. Can I tell you, we're raised a generation... And I know I'll lose some friends over this message. So I don't, that's all right. I ain't got many anyway. Amen. We've raised a whole generation. I'm a conservative, fundamental, Baptist preacher. Mark it down. Amen. But we've raised a generation in our, under our preaching that we've conformed in these images. And the second they get away from the source of that they've conformed to, they go back to what they were, usually worse than they ever were. Because the Bible says don't be conformed to this world and, and don't be conformed to some church standards either. Be conformed to Christ and it comes through transformation. Be transferred or transformed by the renewing of your mind. Improve that what is good and acceptable, perfect will of God. See, transformation there comes from the word metamorphosis. It's where we get change from within that then results in change on the outside. A, butter, or a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. It all starts inside. 
and it becomes an outside change. That's where the change has to take place. Peter's telling us the same thing. Hey, you got to change here in your mind and in your heart. Eventually, it'll show up in the outward behavior. But listen, it needs to show up in your outward behavior at some point. Amen. And he says, as obedient children, not fashion yourselves according to the former lust in your, what's that next word? Ignorance. Don't be conformed to this world. But then Peter goes a little further here and he says, listen, don't be patterned by, conformed by, fashioned by our own former lust. Here's what he's saying. There were some things you used to do before you got saved that you shouldn't do anymore. That's what he's saying. Let me just put it down where we live, amen? There's some things you shouldn't do. Now, as a lost person, we did it out of ignorance. We didn't know any better. Hey, can I just tell you, if you don't, yeah, that's why lost people don't, you can explain all the logic you want. Uh, to them about the Bible and the truths of the Bible, they're not going to understand it. The, 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 the carnal man, he, listen, the non-spiritual man, he doesn't discern the things of the Spirit. Hey, I used to do some things I knew no better about. I mean, I used to believe some pretty crazy beliefs. I believed, and I'll just share this with you, before I was saved, I believed it made sense for, for a man and a woman to shock up and figure out how compatible they were before they got married. It made perfect human sense to me. I got saved, read the Bible, and it calls it fornication. It says it's wrong. It's still wrong. Amen. See, it was in my ignorance that I thought half the thoughts I thought. I used to think the Bible was just a book that some, some men that smoked opium wrote. I did. That's my wife. But the Holy Spirit of God saved my soul. And I now understand that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Understand now that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. See, see, listen, there are some things in my ignorance that I used to do that I don't do anymore. Now, though, when I do them, see, before it was in ignorance. Now that I'm saved, and now that you're saved, when you do those same, same things, those former lusts, now you're not ignorant anymore. Now you're flat disobedient. Said his sons of old. As obedient children. Yeah, you can choose to be disobedient. I don't think you'll like the result. Flip with me. Real quick. Hold your spot there. We'll come back. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. See, when you preach something like this, you could I could stand up here and give you all kinds of lists of sins and lists of former lusts and, and tell you what's wrong and right. And go through society and derail every everything in society that that I don't think is holy and all that. But you know what? When the Bible says what are, are about our former lusts that we're to get rid of, why don't we just let the Bible explain what that is? Because if it explains it, for, number one, you can't get mad at me because I'm going to show it to you in Scripture. <laughs> you probably still will, but uh. but number two, then we know it's from a holy God who said these things are wrong. Not from some preacher trying to be holy. Amen. Colossians chapter 3. What are, when he's talking about not being fashioned into our former lust, what are these former lusts? I'm glad, yes. Look with me. Colossians chapter 3. And, and, and we could read really the whole chapter, but let's, let's pick up verse 1 and we'll read quickly. The Bible says, if you, that, if you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection, 
set your attention, your mind, all those things, on things above, not on things of the earth. For you're dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Same thing. He's saying, live holy, live holy. He's coming, live holy. You see the same thing? Look at verse 5. Now he's going to get into it. Well, tell us, what, 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 what are those lusts? What are those things we got to do away with? He says mortify. That means put to death. That means kill. Therefore, your members, which are upon the earth. And he gives us a long list. Are you ready? He starts with fornication. That's a big general word for any type of sexual immorality. Uh, any sexual relationship outside the bounds of marriage, of one one, one woman, one man, is fornication. That would include adultery. That would include shocking up. That would include premarital sex. That includes homosexuality. That includes pornography. You go on down the list. Amen. That's what it means. You look it up yourself. He says, mortify, put it to death. Then he goes on to the next one. He says, uncleanliness. Everybody see that word? That refers to any physical or moral impurity. That could be in thought, that could be in words, that could be in action. He goes on to say in, inordinate affection, that means excessive, that's what inordinate means, excessive. And, and, and here's what he's saying, any intense, excessive cravings. Now, I don't know about you, sometimes I get some intense, excessive cravings. Here in the context of probably dealing with more around the area of sexuality, but I apply that to every area, like that chocolate pie we talked about last week. Amen. <laughs> then he goes on and says, evil, evil concupiscence. Here's what that means, entertaining those holy desires. That's going a step further. Not only now am I having the excessive cravings, now I'm going to entertain them. Now I'm going to gratify it. Now I'm going to, now I want to do it. I want to, even though I know it's wrong. Are we hitting where anybody lives yet? And covetous. That's the sin of always wanting more. Amen. More money, more things, more possessions. Uh, a person that's covetous, they're never satisfied with what, what they have. They're always wanting more, sometimes what somebody else has. It eventually becomes, look at what it says in verse 5, which is idolatry. And it simply becomes that because you want that so much, you forget and put that in front of God. And anything we put in front of God becomes an idol. Amen. Look at verse 6. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of, what's that next word? Disobedience. God says, listen, you ain't going to like the outcome when you're a child living in disobedience. That's why Peter said, as obedient children, be holy. Because the outcome is not very good. Are you with me? Verse number 7. In which you walk, or in which you also walk sometime when you lived in them. Hey, we used to do it all the time in our ignorance, and we used to do it all the time. But now be holy. But now, verse 7, but now you also put off all of these. And just in case we haven't hit you yet, he goes on and gives you a long list. He starts with anger. Amen. Anybody, that's a revengeful passion directed against somebody else. He goes on then to wrath. That is anger that boils over and the outbreak that comes from it. Getting where we live yet? Goes on to malice. That is ill will, a vindictive spirit, if you will. 
He goes on and he uses blasphemy. Listen, that's any slander, any speech that injures another person or tears another person down. And listen, we as Christians, we're famous for trying to disguise this and act all spiritual. Well, I wouldn't tell you about this, but I just know you'll pray for them and then you tell them all this stuff that tears somebody else down. You can add, just pray, well, I want you to just pray for them and everything. And you can add, bless their heart all you want. That doesn't make it right. If you're tearing them down, it's... This word. And he goes, put off filthy communication out of your mouth. That literally means shameful speaking. Speaking that's lewd, indecent, corrupt, disgraceful, or impure. It really shouldn't be this way, but some of the dirtiest jokes I've ever heard in my life came out of the mouth of professing Christians. While they may clean up, let me also just add this while we're on it, since you're getting all quiet on me. Some of the people that use four-letter words the most I've ever heard in my life are professing Christians. That's a bunch of hogwash. He's saying, clean up your mouth. Oh, no, they'll clean it up in the sanctuary on Sunday. But I'm not talking about in the sanctuary on Sunday. I'm talking about what you're talking about when you go to the car with your wife, sir. Or, or ma'am, what you're saying to your husband when you're berating him at home. Listen, I'm talking about those four-letter words. I'm talking about anything you said that tears down people that, that wouldn't be edifying. I'm talking about any shameful speaking, no matter where it is on the job. Not, I'm not just talking about in church. I'm talking about all the time. He says, put it off. Then he goes on and talks about lying. I've preached for about five years on lying, the way I've been lying about recently. Amen. Deception. False witnessing. That's what it means. By the way, a half-truth is a whole lie. Somebody say amen. Notice the progression now. Now, it's Paul here is writing the same progression Peter does. He starts with motives and tents of the hearts. And then it, then it goes to the outward manifestations of those very actions. How we start here results in how we live. And he finalizes it here in verse number 9. He says, put off the old man with his deeds. And, and listen, those old deeds go with the old man. It's time that we as Christians live holy as he who has called us is holy. It's time for us, our walk to match our words, our practice to match our position. That Those former lusts they need to put off. We need to quit fashioning ourselves unto those former lusts that we did in our ignorance. And our call to holiness involves controlling our thinking. It involves considering his coming. It involves consecrating our living by, number one, rejecting the lustful lifestyle of the past. But number two, back to your text now. But also, remembering the holiness of God. Remembering the holiness of God. Back to 1 Peter. Get to verse 15. And he says this. But as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. But as he which has called you is, what's that next word? Don't you ever forget this, friends. Oh, don't forget this. God's number one characteristic is holiness. God is holy. Our modern day church has created an incorrect image of God. We brought God down to us. We, we made him a God of America. We call him the man upstairs. We, we treat him like he's a genie in the bottle. We go to him and rub on him and, and love on him when we need something. But the rest of the time we put him back on the shelf. And God, I'll live my life my way. But, and I'll live it how I want to do, do what I want to do. But when I need you, I'll come back and rub that genie on the shelf anymore. That's not my God. My God is a holy God. 
this pop psychology that in our modern church has made us think that God was created for our glory. First of all, he wasn't created. He's always been. Amen. And don't you ever forget this. God was not created for our glory. It doesn't exist for our glory. We were created for his glory. See how we reversed it? Today we major on his love and his mercy and his grace and his long-suffering. And I thank God for every one of those. I'm saved today because of those wonderful things. But don't you ever forget it's a holy love. Don't ever forget it's a holy mercy. It's a holy grace. It's a holy long-suffering because his number one characteristic is holiness. Folks wonder today, and I've heard many talk, how come we don't see the, 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 the sweeping revivals that we used to see all over our land? I mean, the great awakenings and, and those great prayer revivals and all those revivals that you read about in history that were real and swept our land. Can I tell you why we don't see it anymore? Because the modern church doesn't preach the same message anymore. We've turned to this pop psychology, motivational, devotional, make you feel better. Hey, just accept Jesus, then live as you please. Listen, they preached one message, one message only. It was the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. The holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. The holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. Until you understand you're a sinner, you'll never understand your need for a holy God. The message isn't the same. We can have revival again. We need to get back to the holiness of God. Now, I'm not talking about living weird with some middle, middle eye in your forehead and all that stuff. I'm just talking about taking those, that list we just read about and getting them out of your life. and Living a life filled with the fruit of the Spirit. We've forgotten God's holiness. Isaiah had forgotten it, but he got a wake-up call, didn't he? Y'all remember Isaiah 6? In the year of the king, Uzziah died. He said, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple, and it stood, uh, and, it's, and above it stood the seraphim. In verse 3, he said, And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory, and the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the hot house was filled with smoke. Then said I, it wasn't until he saw the holiness of God. But he said, then said I, woe is me, for I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Listen, we will never say woe is me until we say holy is he. Listen to what A.W. Tozer wrote. Listen carefully to this. This is powerful. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion. And man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most pretentious fact about any man is 
Not what he at any given time may say or do. But what he, in his deep heart, conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. Where we're able to extract from any man a complete answer to this question. What comes into your mind when you think about God? Let me ask you that question. What comes in your mind when you think about God? He goes on to say, if we could get that answer, then we could predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. Wow. Don't you ever forget, God is holy. We need to consecrate our living by rejecting the lustful lifestyle of our past, by remembering the holiness of God. And lastly, simply by responding to his call to be holy. Verse 15, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. In other words, we should be like Kevin, where's Kevin? You up there? Come here. Hurry up. Run, run, run. How many guests we have here? Anybody know who this is? That's who doesn't know who this is? Some of y'all don't know who this is. All right. Just hold on for one second. Turn around. Stand right beside me. Now you clearly know who he is. All right. Dead giveaway. Do you agree? <laughs> Poor guy. Y'all pray for him. I'm his father. Because I'm his father, there's some characteristics, there's some traits, and physically especially, as you can see, that he looks just like me. Peter is reminded us under the inspiration of God as obedient children. We've got a Father in heaven. We should act and look, not physically, but spiritually, a whole lot more like Him. Because He's holy, and we need to learn to be holy. And He says, in all manner of conversation. Now, the word conversation in the King James there doesn't mean, uh, although it can mean, could mean how you talk, but it really means how you live. It's your manner of lifestyle. Every area of your life. How we walk. How we talk. Yes, how we dress. I'm not talking about rules. I'm just talking about this. If you dress to draw attention to stuff, then you're not only, not only are you not holy, you're, you're causing other people to not be holy. Amen? Don't be quiet on How we think. What we do. Hey, we not spit holy. That's possible. Let me ask you this. Is there some area in your life that God's brought to your mind that isn't holy or pleasing to God? Maybe you struggle with stuff on that list. Fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, covenants. Maybe you struggle with anger or wrath or slander or filthy communication or lying. Or maybe it's some other area that wasn't in the list, but God has revealed it to you. The fact that he's revealed it to you can tell you two things. Number one, he loves you. 
because he chastens every child he loves. And number two, he says, get it out of your life, put it off, because you're to be holy as I am holy. If he brought it to your heart and mind, then you are dealing with him. It's time to be obedient children, and not the disobedient one we read about. Whatever that is, see, I don't need to preach on it. I got a God in heaven and a Holy Spirit that can reveal it to you. Whatever that is, whatever it is, get it fixed today. Our greatest cost is the cost to holiness. It starts in our thinking. Hey, when we control it. Start, it goes on by considering that he's coming. But it ends with consecrating our living. Respond to his call to be holy. You got some area God's dealing with in your heart? Listen, it's not a thing. You come this morning, when they come and sing here in just a moment, you come this morning and you confess that to God, not to me, not to anybody else. You confess that to God and you forsake that area of your life and you just determine with God's help and by His grace, by golly, I'm not going, I'm not going to be perfect. I'm not going to arrive, but I'm going to live as holy as I know how to live because my God is holy and it's time I look like my Father. Be holy as I am holy. Father, bless them. Use it in every heart and every life, I pray. Have your will and your way in this invitation. In Christ's name, amen. If you'd stand with heads bowed and eyes closed all over the room. Holiness isn't some weird thing. It isn't jumping up, running around a room. It's holy rolling. God has taught us the holy living. But it is our greatest calling in life. Let me just ask you this. As she goes ahead and as soon as she's ready and starts to play softly. How many of you would just be honest? No one's looking around. Not calling people out. Not embarrassing. My hand's already up. And say there's some areas in my life the Holy Spirit of God revealed to me that that either through my thinking or my doing, I am being a disobedient child. How many would say that this morning? Hands all over the room. Mine too. This altar's open. You can pray there in your seat, and that's fine. But I'm going to tell you, it, it certainly seems to mean a whole lot more when you come deal with God at, a, at an altar. Wherever you take care of it, though. Here's my form. Here, here's, listen to my heart today. Don't leave here being a disobedient child in that area that he's revealed to you. It's time to get it right and be holy as he is holy. Oh, there'll be a new area. Don't, don't, there'll be a new one comes up after that. But you deal with that one when he reveals that one to you. Right now, deal with the one he's dealing with you. Confess it for sake. Let's learn to be holy as he's holy. Second question is just this. I know this message wasn't a, what we would call an evangelistic message. But if you're here today, you'll never be holy. You'll never be righteous until the righteousness of God is applied to your account. See, Jesus did the greatest thing ever. We who are, who are sin and have sinned and come short of the glory of God, who could do nothing about our sin. He came and took our place and became sin for us. And, and he'll give us his righteousness. 
as he takes our sins. What a deal. But we first got to repent and change our minds and agree with God that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father. That he died on a cross for our sin, was buried and rose again. If you understand you're a sinner today and you believe Jesus died for your sin and was buried and rose again for your sin, then right now, why don't you come receive his righteousness and allow him to take your sin? He came to save us from our sin. This altar is open. If that's you, you come. I'd sure love to take this Bible and show you how you can know that heaven's your home. Whatever you need, you come as Brother Kim sings this morning. The choice is yours. Many hands went up in this room to signify that God was dealing with them. Some area in their life that they were living that wasn't pleasing to God. Some area that he wanted cleaned up so that you could be holy as he is holy. Listen, give that to him. You don't have to come to this altar, although it's open. You give that you do business with God right where you are. We're not in a rush here. On to read my soul. Don't leave this place with that same problem. Confess it and forsake. Whose blood can cleanse each part. You don't know Christ as your Savior, listen. I don't know what would keep you in your seat. I, come, I do. I come, I'm to swallow that pride and say, just as I need I am thou wilt I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. Will you come, I sure would love to show you. All about it. Really because Thy promise be holy in all manner of conversation. Believe, Lord is written. Be ye holy, for I am. Brother Dwight's